We're going to look uh, specifically at verses 3 through 6 this morning. But for the sake of context, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6 and then pray. Verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought... To walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to gather together this morning. Read your word together. Be addressed by you through your word. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would soften our hearts that we would receive this word in the appropriate way, and Lord, that your word would accomplish your good purposes in our lives, Lord, you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, your spirit would search our heart and reveal the things that need to be revealed in our lives, Lord, that we might know the truth, that we might know that we know you. And Lord, that we would know if we're lying, as John says here in this section of Scripture. And so, Lord, accomplish your good purposes. Help us grow in our love for you and our assurance of this great salvation that you have given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have ever driven your car with the parking brake on? Show of hands, let's just be honest. Occasionally I do this as well. My driveway has a little bit of a hill, and so um, I use my parking brake all the time for that reason. And so I pull into my driveway and I put my parking brake on, and occasionally, and I would say occasionally more times than I'd like to really admit, I will pull out of my driveway without taking my emergency brake off. And sometimes I don't really notice this until I start to drive forward and then I begin to feel my inability to really move forward with the speed and the freedom that I'm supposed to when the brake's not on. So in these rare moments, which again happen more times than I'd like to admit, all I do is I reach down and I pull the emergency brake off and then I just move forward freely with no resistance. I share this because trying to live the Christian life, trying to live the Christian life without having an assurance that we are actually Christians is like 
trying to drive a car with an emergency brake on. Without this assurance of our salvation, we lack this sense of freedom that we're supposed to have in Christ to actually live out our lives for him and his glory. We also lack the confidence that we are forever secure and safe in Christ. Left then to sort of just second guess our fate at the end of this life. Without assurance, we're left with doubts. And without a real and genuine hope in this world. Have you ever asked yourself, am I really saved? You don't have to raise your hand for that. Or have you ever wondered to yourself, can I really know that I'm actually a Christian? Most of us, if not all of us, have probably asked ourselves that question at some point and wrestled with those questions. And if you're a parent, and I just happen to be one, you've probably wrestled with these questions in regards to your children's faith as well as uh, you probably had the joy of praying with them at an early age and then you've watched them grow up and you've watched their life and I'm sure at some point if you're a parent seeking to raise kids in the way of the Lord who have made a profession of faith at some point over their life and over your parenting of them, you've, you've probably questioned at times, is their faith real? Is it genuine? We wrestle with these things. Well, God doesn't intend for us to live our faith, live out our faith in Christ without the assurance of our salvation. He doesn't want us to wander around in this world with doubts about where we're at in our faith and doubting whether or not we truly are forgiven of all of our sins because of what Christ has done for us. He wants us to be confident that we are his and we actually possess this eternal life through faith in Christ alone. He wants us to know that we've truly been saved by Jesus so that we might live in the good of this gospel with this freedom and this confidence to glorify him in all that he calls us to do. See, John wrote this letter so that we would know that we believe. And he wrote these words that we find here in our text to sort of help us come to that conclusion and have this confidence that we really know that we know God in this saving way. And so he, he gives us a moral test here to take. In reality, what we're going to see over the next few weeks is he doesn't just give us a moral test. He gives us a few other tests that are meant to help us take a close look at our lives so that we might come out of these tests having this confidence. This confidence that, that we indeed have been saved by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Having this confidence that Christ really is at work in us, sanctifying us and helping us grow. And what I love about John as we get into John, and, and I've shared this, I think, in Galatians and Jonah, and the Lord just leads us through his word in different letters and books. And as a pastor, I prepare for these things, but I'm always a little bit surprised and I think it's in a good way, as 
we dig deep into them and I spend my time studying, preparing for this, you, you begin to see, see nuances of the author and nuances of the original readers. And then as we pray through it and you try to work through, Lord, how do you want this to be communicated to us as a church? And one of my prayers is always, Lord, help me to preach with the appropriate tone that you want this word to be preached with because every letter, and I would say every word, has a tone to it. It has a feeling behind it. It's got a pastor who's preaching this, or in this case, we've got a father in the faith who are speaking to uh, little children, as he calls them, men and women who are seeking to grow up in the church that he dearly loves. And he sees them sort of getting picked off by these false teachers teaching false things about Jesus, and it's, it's beginning to get at their confidence in regards to, am I really a believer or not? What does a believer really look like? And so John has a tone, and it surprises me. John, John, this father in the faith, comes at us several times throughout this letter with um, borderline sort of harsh words. Not harsh in a sinful way, but I would say they just kind of hit you in the face, kind of get your attention. And so he brings it with some, some bold clarity because he wants to help us. He wants to help us grow in our faith. He wants us to, to know that we know God through a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's pretty straightforward. And so like John in writing this letter, I hope that these words from God give us all a sense of confidence and assurance in our salvation. And I would add to that where, where maybe you have this false assurance my prayer would be is that God would expose that as well so that you might repent and receive Christ as your Savior and then gain that real assurance of what it means to be saved. And so what we're going to learn this morning is this. We can have assurance that we know God and are saved by God by looking at our faithful obedience to God. So we can have assurance that we know God and are saved by God by looking at our faithful obedience to God. We're going to explore this truth this morning by taking a look at just two points. In our first point, we learned that one, our obedience to God reveals if our faith in Jesus is genuine or not. So our obedience to God reveals if our faith in Jesus is genuine or not. This test that John gives us is the test of obedience to God. He's not asking us to take this theological written exam where we get to sort of just sit by ourselves with the test in front of us and have some multiple choice questions that we might be able to guess on have a 25% chance of getting right, and just, just a knowledge exam, just one where we get to sort of spew out all the things we've ever learned from children's ministry on up. This is not a theological written exam. This is not a multiple choice exam. This is more than just a knowledge exam. What he wants us to do is he wants us to look at our lives. He wants us to have some real evidence to look at in the way in which we live out our faith that will point to the fact that we actually know God. 
Because what he's going to tell us is, knowing God, it looks like something. And I'm going to ruin this for you. It looks a lot like Jesus. Saying that we know God and have been saved by God through faith in Jesus is going to look like a life that picks up a cross and follows Jesus. And so he gave us this exam so that we would know him. In a very simple way, John is going to tell us that our actions will speak louder than our words. Verse 3 says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And so I'm going to get a little deeper than I usually do in some ways. I think these words are important for us. The first know that John uses here in verse 3 is the present tense. It carries with it this idea that we continually are growing in this knowledge of God as we continue to live faith, live life by faith, and gain valuable experience of God and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's this continual growing in our knowing. It's an ongoing growth in our understanding of God and our standing with God. This knowledge is one that he's telling us here, that that grows over time. This is how you will know that you've come to know God. It's one that you're going to be continually growing in. Your knowledge of this should be growing over time as you continue to obey the Lord. As you continue to walk personally with him, there should be this greater assurance of this relationship that you have with him. The second no that John uses is in the perfect tense, emphasizing the fact that we have come to know God in a real, genuine, and complete way. So when we put these two no's together, what John is saying to us is that this is how you will continue to know, day in and day out, that you have actually come to know God fully, if you keep his commandments. David Allen, in his commentary, wrote the following. He said, knowledge of God is is a robust concept that covers not only what you know about God, but also includes a personal relationship with God that begins with faith. It also includes an ever-deepening relationship and fellowship with God that is evidenced by love for him, and obedience to God's commands. Just because you know true things about God and can pass a theological test doesn't mean you're saved. And just because you've prayed a prayer asking Jesus into your heart, this too doesn't mean that you're actually saved. These are good things. I'm not saying these are bad things, but these are not the things that God gives us as evidence to give us an assurance that we have come to know God through a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We, he's not calling us to look back to when we were six years old and we prayed that prayer and we can barely remember that. He calls us to look at something else. John is telling us here that our assurance of our salvation will be revealed by the lives that we live by faith. Genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ, it, it looks like something. 
If you've been around enough and you've heard me preach here at Sovereign Grace Church, that's a phrase I like to use a lot. I I just feel like it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you and you understand that that this faith that we have in a God whom we don't see actually looks like something. Because he doesn't just call us to kind of just believe in these things. This, this belief in these things, it actually works itself out in the ways in which we interact with one another. In the ways in which we speak. The words that come out of our mouths, they, they reveal what is true about what we believe God to be and who he is. And so our faith should look like something. And what John is telling us here, it it looks like obedience. It looks a lot like obedience to God through the keeping of his commandment. It's so much more than just words. The Pharisees knew a lot about God, but they didn't actually know God, nor did they actually love him. They loved the part they played, but their hearts were far from him. Instead of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God, they rejected him and killed him. See, love love looks like something. Just think about, if you're a husband, think about your relationship with your wife. It's sort of an easy one, right, for husbands? You can say all day that you love your wife. You can write her the best notes, put it on paper and plant them all around the house and and just leave them there for her to read so that she knows that what you're communicating to her through your words is that you love her. But if you never actually speak with her, and you never actually talk to her, and you never actually serve her by laying down your life for her, but instead selfishly just do whatever it is you want to do, whenever it is you want to do it, do you think She's really going to say, yeah, I know my husband loves me. What she might say is that I hear him say it, but I fail to experience it on a daily basis. See, it, it looks like something. Our relationship with God, a saving faith in God, it's, it's going to look like something. And John's saying it's going to look like obedience. It's going to look like picking up a cross and following Jesus. This word keep that John uses as well is also in the present tense and it emphasizes a continual regular obedience to God. It literally means to look upon something as your treasure and therefore to guard it as your treasure. Christians value God's commandments as treasure. That's what he's getting at here by keeping His commandments, by guarding these commandments, by treasuring these commandments, meaning we don't dismiss them. We don't just give lip service to them. We we treasure them, and not just some of them, but we treasure all of them, because these are all of God's words. This obedience to God is not meant to be a one-time thing either but rather it's to be a continually ongoing obedience to God, meaning it's not just something we do at the beginning of our relationship with the Lord. It's something we do at the beginning and throughout the rest of our lives. 
As we seek to walk by faith and not by sight, we seek to trust in God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his words that he has given to us. And by the grace of God, we seek to faithfully obey these words, treasuring these words. Now, this does not mean that we're called to be perfect. We've, we've spent the last two weeks, and Phil was referencing this in uh, the Lord's Supper that he instructed us in this morning. John, John is nowhere in here saying you have to be perfect. Because if we have to be perfect, then there really wouldn't be a need for an advocate. And he wouldn't spend all that time trying to help us understand that we actually do have sin and we're liars when we say we don't have sin, but our need is to confess that sin because we have a faithful God who forgives us of that sin. And so he's actually encouraging us just to admit we sin, that we're not perfect. We have a holy God who demands perfection, but we've failed in that. And when we fail in that, we don't run away from God. Instead, we run to God who has so loved us, he gave us his only son, that we might confess this sin and receive the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of all of our sin. It's, it's meant to welcome us into this. So he's, he's not calling us to be perfectly or to perfectly obey him here. But he is calling us to, to take a look at our lives and see, are you obeying the Lord? Is, is there sort of this upward trajectory of seeking to be faithful to the things that God has called you to do? Are you growing in your obedience to the Lord? Where's the trajectory at? It also means that we shouldn't live a life of disobedience to God or willful disobedience to God. If you take a look at your life and see that you have this real desire to honor and obey God in all things and that you are by faith seeking to actually obey the Lord, then what John would say is you're a Christian. He's, he's not trying to confuse us here. I don't, I don't want to confuse anybody. He's, he's just talking about this is what Christians look like. Christians look like men and women who by the grace of God are seeking to obey God who are reading his word, who are treasuring his commandments and are looking hard at them and are evaluating their own lives and are crying out to God for more grace and more power to do the things that he's called us to do. And then when they don't do those things, they raise their hand and they say, Lord, please forgive me. You don't have to raise your hand. But there needs to be a confession, trusting that he's faithful and just to forgive. And he's just saying, if that's present in your life, be encouraged. If there's this upward trajectory of growing in your faith and you see it evidenced by obedience to God, then you should be encouraged that you, you know that you have come to know God through the saving faith in Jesus Christ. But if in your heart of hearts you don't desire to honor and obey the Lord and you're not actually obeying the Lord and you could care less about obeying the Lord, and John would say, you're probably not a Christian. Because people who know God and have been saved by God have been radically changed. Radically changed. Christ saves us, pours out his spirit upon us, 
calls us to abide in him and he abides in us. And there's this radical transformation that takes place from the point of conversion until we breathe our last breath where he is just at work in us, uprooting everything that doesn't look like holiness. So where there's no desire to obey the Lord, there's no desire to actually know the Lord, John would say you're probably not a believer. Again, he's not trying to confuse us. He's just trying to bring assurance and clarity. David Allen again writes the following. He says, one of the ways you know you are a Christian is if you desire to obey God. If you have no interest in doing what God says, if God's principles and commandments are of little importance to you, that should be a red flag that you may not be a Christian. Assurance of your salvation is unattainable without obedience to God's commands. So as a parent, one of the things me and my wife, Sarah, we, we talk about, and we talk to our kids, I think, in this way, and you're going to have to help me out here, but I'm pretty sure we do this with them, and, is when they're wrestling through their faith, and you've heard me say this before, kids growing up in a Christian home, I think is, it can be really hard, especially if they're not believers, because they're, they're sort of bound to this Christian home and these ways, and then sometimes they might pray a prayer, and we're like, yeah, great, you're saved, and then we start them down this path, and they're trying to walk this path, but if they're not actually saved, and they've only given lip service to God, it's going to be miserable for them. Because they're, they're going to try to do these things so mom and dad want them to do them, but they're going to lack the power from the Holy Spirit to actually do it. And then the desire that would come by somebody who's actually saved because Christ is at work in them. And so we've had conversations with them as they've wrestled with their faith at times where you just open the door and just, if you don't, you don't really believe, just tell me. Don't pretend to be a believer if you're not a believer. Don't pretend to be a believer because you think it makes me happy because that, that's not going to get you into heaven one day. That doesn't give you the forgiveness of all of your sins. That just sort of appeases mom and dad, but you don't have to appease mom and dad. You have to actually satisfy the God who made you, and you can't, you can't do it that way. You're going to have to stand before the Lord and Jesus is the only one that can save you. And so there needs to be those, those real conversations to help people grow in their faith. Because if you're not saved, here's what John would say. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You see, John, John's pretty straightforward here. He doesn't actually say you're probably not a Christian. Those were my words. But John says, no, no, you're, you're, you're a liar. If, if you say that you know him, but, but you're not actually keeping his commandments, then what you are is you're a, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. He doesn't soften his words for hypocrites. He calls it like he sees it. If you claim to be a Christian, but you do not treasure God's commandments, then John would want you to know this morning that you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. You're not deceived. You're not confused. You're not ignorant. You're a liar. You're someone who is not actually telling the truth. You say you know God. You say you believe in him. You say that you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, but what your life tells us is that's not true. 
and that you're lying and the truth is not actually in you. Because if you loved him, John would say you would obey him. And not just John. John's not making this up. Jesus himself said the following. John recorded it in chapter 14, verse 15 of his gospel. Jesus said this, if you love me, guess what? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So John's not making this up. You can't say that you love God and claim to know God if you continue to disobey God. Unless there is observable obedience to God through the keeping of his commandments, John would say, don't say that you're a Christian. Because if you do, you're just lying to yourself and those around you. See, God actually places a high priority on obedience. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Jeremiah 7, 22, 23 says, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them. Guess what? Obey my voice. And then James, I think this is probably most everybody's favorite, one of their favorite verses in James is, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. We're not called to just listen to the word. We're not called to just give lip service to the word. We're called to actually be doers of it. To actually walk by faith, trusting that these are the very words of God, that his commandments are laid out throughout all of scripture, and that he has so loved us that he sent his son to die for us, and that he has saved us, and when he saves us, he changes us, and we begin to actually love the things that he loves. We begin to want the things that he wants, and what that looks like is obedience to his commands. So let's just close out this point by asking a few questions here. This is part of a test, remember? So these are my questions in light of this text. So there's a number of them, and take what you want from it. Number one, do you seek to obey the Lord in all things? And I would say this is an area we we grow in over time. When I first got saved, I knew very little of this. After 20-some years and having read through this, I don't know how many times... Every time I read through it, the Lord highlights something new that I might have known but have been neglecting but puts in front of me. And so sometimes he's, he's highlighting the way I should love my wife. Sometimes he's highlighting the way I should speak. Sometimes he's highlighting things in regards to my anger and what it just looks like. But, but the question is, are, is the trajectory moving upwards? Are you growing in your obedience to the Lord? When you fail to obey the Lord, do you seek to obey him by confessing and repenting of your sins? I feel like this is like one of the themes the Lord's getting after in our church during this season. Maybe you've felt it over the last couple weeks. Just sin, identifying sin in our hearts, helping us understand what it is, having a right view of it, not being afraid of it in in the way in which we just, we hide it or sweep it under the rug, but instead we just bring it into the light. And we trust Jesus that he actually was killed for it all. And we move forward and we encourage one another in the moving forward. So do you do that? As you look back on your life over the past three to six months, and just so you know, I use language like that because I'm more concerned for us as a church that we think about these issues today 
as opposed to sitting around in a community group talking about what we were like 20 years ago because it's safer to say those kind of things, but instead let's just actually take a look at what our lives look like today. Let's confess the things we're actually doing today. Let's take those sins that we're committing today to task. So as you look back over your life for the past three to six months, would you say and would others say that you're seeking to be faithful to obey the Lord? So this is just bring, bring some other people into your life. Are there any areas of your life that you're not obeying the Lord in and have no, no desire to obey the Lord in? And I would just say as believers, there's going to be those pockets at times. Areas that we might call habitual sins, things that just sort of linger in our lives, things that we don't always like to look at, and they might lie, lie dormant for a season, and all of a sudden God brings somebody along and it's exposed. He calls for us to fight those things. And I would just say, are you fighting those things? If you can, well, let me see. No, I missed it from can you honestly say that you're a Christian by looking at your life and evaluating the way you are living with God's commands? And if you can, be encouraged. Because that's what John wants. John wants you to know that you've come to know God. But if you can't, I want to encourage you with this. Repent and trust in Jesus. Trust that he is who he says he is and he really died for the full penalty of your sins and receive him as your savior. This leads us to our second and final point. Our obedience to God reveals a mature love for God. Verse 5, he says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Again, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. If you don't keep his word, he says you're a liar. But if you do keep it, if you guard it and you treasure it by obeying it faithfully, John tells us, Truly the love of God is being perfected. This phrase, the love of God, means our love for God. It doesn't mean his love for us because his love has already been perfected. He is perfect. He can't love us anymore. He can't love us any less because he loves us through Christ. And Christ was our advocate, is our advocate, died in our place. He loves us because of who Christ is. Is. And so what he's telling us here is that our love for God grows as we seek to trust God and obey him through his commands. David Allen writes the following. He says, your love is a mature love when you love God. And your love for him is the ground for how you live. This is important when we're talking about obedience to God. What he's skidding at here is this love for God grows as we trust God and it's evidenced through our obedience to God. And so as we do that, our love for him is being perfected. And it's not us that's doing the perfection. God is growing us in this. And this ground that David Allen's talking about is what all this obedience is meant to grow out of. So as our love for God is perfected by God, guess what happens? There's more obedience to God that's produced. So God is doing this. That's why he calls for us to work on our own salvation with fear and trembling. For we know that what? That it's him who's actually at work. So we work, but we know we work because God is the one who's doing pretty much all of the work. 
and he's producing in us this greater love for him and the greater love that we have for him, guess what? It produces a, a life that is lived for him. Again, giving evidence that we've actually been saved by God. So now think about it like this. There are at least three reasons for why we do what we do, okay? One of those is we do things because we have to. There are just certain things in this life that we just sort of have to do. Children obey their parents while they live in their homes because they just have to, at least in my house. You have to obey me until you move out of my house because it's my house. I pay all the bills. I do all these things for you. And I have this conversation every once in a while, and I'm assuming you as parents will do this as well, but there are many times our kids just do things we ask them to do because they have to. And as adults, there's many things we do because we just have to do them as well. We file our taxes. Why? Because you have to. And if you don't, they'll come after you. That's why you have to do those things. It's not always fun doing things that reason for those reasons, but, but we do them. We also do things because we need to. Sometimes you go to work at a place that you don't love. Anybody in here? Don't raise your hand, please, because I know you work for some other of these people. But we do this sometimes because we need to. We go to work because we need to get a paycheck. And we need that paycheck so we can pay the bills and so we can take care of all these other things in life. And so I'm going to assume that you do this all the time. There's just things in your life that you do because you just, you just need to do it. You don't necessarily love doing it, but you need to do them. But the third one is the reason that John's after here, that John wants us to see and to understand that this is where our obedience to God grows out of. We don't want to do these things for God because we have to or we need to, though those things may be true, but we want to do these things because we want them. We actually want to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. And so we do things because we want to. Think about all the things you do in life because you want to. Right now, I love disc golf. The sun is out. I was expecting it to rain all day. Listen, in my heart, I've already thought through this. It's rained all day, and I already know the courses that would be the driest. And I'm going to send a text to my group of buddies, not the community group leaders, because you got that falsely that one time. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to put a text out, hey, who wants to go throw some discs today? Maybe in a different way, but anyways... I'll be there at 3 o'clock. Super Bowl party at my house starts at 6.30. House probably needs to get prepared. Food needs to get set up. But I love disc golf. You don't even have to like, all you got to do is say it. I want to go play. I'll figure, ask my wife, I will figure out a way to play. You, you, it's just, it comes easy. All I need is one person to say, you want to go? And I'll be like, I'm out the door. Because I want to. And Do you have anything like that in your life? anything. You guys know what I'm talking about. This, this just comes easy. Okay, well, that's, that's how John is getting after our own hearts and our own obedience to the Lord. It should be that same thing. He calls us to love our, our wives as Christ loved the church, or wives. He calls you to submit to your own husband as unto the Lord, those, those commands there. He calls you to, uh, to not get angry to not steal, to not lie, to speak words that fit the occasion, that give grace. He calls you to not gossip and to not slander. All these commands that we can just kind of file under picking up a cross and following Christ. 
and they can feel like a burden at times. But when you want to do them, do they feel like a burden? It never feels like a burden to go play disc golf. I promise you, if you lived inside my brain and my heart, it never feels like a burden. Well, what's that rooted in? I I love that stuff, but I don't love those things more than I love Jesus. Why? Because none of that stuff died to save me. And that's the motivation here. What John's getting after is, is this love for these commandments grows out of our love for Jesus. And think about it. God so loved us, what did he do? He killed Jesus to save you. To pay the full penalty for all of your sins. So that you would be forever forgiven. Set free from the power of sin. Given eternal life. The assurance of that. Given the hope of a better future than this broken world. That's yours. Because God has loved you. And, and I think in some ways we're, we're called to just, just live in the good of this gospel. And sometimes that means we just, we just stay near it. We talk about it. We think about it. We encourage one another in this truth. And we stay there and we meditate on it until our hearts are, are warmed and set ablaze with this love. As we think about why would God ever save us? We are not good people. Scripture is very clear. We were enemies. Yet he came after us. To save us. See, heartfelt love for God. Demonstrated by our obedience to God. That doesn't save us. But what it does. What it does do is it it gives evidence to the fact that we've actually been saved. John concludes this moral test by saying, By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So in closing, let me just ask a couple questions. Do you say that you're a Christian? If so, what does your walk say about that? Just look at your life. Again, is there a trajectory of growth in your obedience to God? Not perfection, but is is it growing? Then just think about your heart. And this is, you're the only person that really can answer this is, do you really love him? Don't just say the Bible school answer, but but what's, what's there? What does that look like? Think about that. I'd encourage you to spend time in your community groups or in your small group friendships just to work through those questions and and just ask for help and pray and ask the Lord to search your heart because John wants you to have assurance. Assurance that you have actually come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer as well. So let me pray in closing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter and I thank you for John and the tests that he's given us and the ways in which you've called us to just take a look at our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to uproot little pockets of sin that just linger in our hearts. Expose them all, Lord, that we might all walk in the light. Lord, madly in love with this good news about Jesus Christ dying to save us. 
And Lord, would you help us as parents, Lord, equipped with a word like this, to care for our kids in the appropriate way, to love and serve them and help them, Lord, that we might not give them a false sense of assurance just because we don't want to believe that they might not actually be saved. But Lord, where they are actually saved, Lord, help us to encourage. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the remainder of our day today. You'd fill us with your spirit and send us on our way that we might, we might be your people to proclaim your good news to the world around us and that people would get saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning as you leave. May the Lord bless you. Um, also, just a reminder, we're going to take five-minute break, okay? This is for our members-only meeting, adults-only. Um, it's just to give a, a brief update.